and welcome to No Accounting for Tech, the podcast all about the technology powering the accounting industry. I'm Tom Herbert, technology editor for Accounting Web, and this week we have a special review of the spring software conference season, originally recorded a few days back as part of our Tech Pulse webinar series. We'll be back with a regular episode of our No Accounting for Taste podcast next week, but for the meantime, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Tech Pulse show from your friends here at Accounting Web. I'm Tom Herbert, technology editor for the site. Thank you so much for tuning in. With AccountEx last week, officially brought the curtain down on the spring software conference season for accountants. And amongst the noise and the buzz also came uh, an intriguing swirl of new trends uh, amongst the industry and a bunch of midnight conversations uh, after a few drinks about the ultimate tech stack that will propel you to accounting stardom that you just you just can't remember. But help is at hand um, because we have a dynamic duo of accounting technology experts here to round up some of the trends from the uh, conference season and uh, yeah, just just unpack them a bit more. Um, the first in our in our northern powerhouse of guests um, representing the northwest is uh, John Toon, a technology tech strategy uh, lead over at Beaver and Struthers. Hey, John. Uh, good morning, Tom. Uh, hi, everyone else. Uh, thanks for the intro. And, um, and and yeah, so I guess just a little quick background on what I do. So I look after our strategy for, for the firm in terms of technology. <clears throat> and that really is about trying to identify the, you know, the best technology for the firm to utilize both internally and also to advise our clients on, on what the best technology for them is in terms of improving their efficiency and their streamlining of their operations. Brilliant. Thank you, John. And uh, representing the Northeast, but I, th- I think based in the Midlands, aren't you, Billy, um, is uh, the 2020 um, practice uh, consultant and also chair of Tech Talk. It's Billy McLaughlin. Hi, Billy. Hi, Tom. Hi, everybody. Yes, I'm Billy McLaughlin. I was in practice for 12 years, uh, was an accountant and decided to move over to this world of tech and jumped onto the other side of the fence, which is fantastic. So I'm with 2020 Innovation, um, who are CPD providers. And we also have a membership called Tech Talk, where we help practices with their current tech stacks. So it's a very resource heavy task to investigate like you said Tom trying to figure out what's best what the ideal tech stack is so we aim to be an extension of the team and help practices with that amazing thanks Billy um so as as I said we will be uh going through uh, a few of the trends that um emerged from spring conference season so obviously the likes of AccountEx QuickBooks Connect um we had a, a sweet Connect um Oracle Cloud World I went to as well might not come up so much today to be perfectly honest but uh yeah uh, and a host of other road shows and sessions as well um can i start with you john just to get a few general thoughts on what you made of the sort of spring conference season yeah i mean it's uh, it's been back with a bang hasn't it which is which is great um uh, i think the one that maybe you missed out was uh, alternative it as well which um, is sort of mainly aimed at larger larger firms and um, I guess you know the, the key things there are around about 
you know, how, how the pace of change in technology is ever increasing, um, you know, and how do firms how do firms keep up with that pace of change? You know, uh, you know, obviously we're in account text last week as well, and um, you know, the the sort of the the two or three sort of common themes that seem to crop up is like we're still seeing more stuff in payments. I mean, I'm amazed that there are payment apps still popping up all over the place, um, and uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see how that market's going to continue to to change and develop um you know quite a few things around aml as well seem to be very very popular and i know that's a, a particular area that that seemingly a lot of firms are really focusing in on um and um and then there's just a you know the the, the general noise that you get from the big the big players of, of trying to move to the cloud and um you know if i, if I could be really cheeky because i've already mentioned this joke once but the cch guys were wearing the 15 year old t-shirts about moving to the cloud in the not too distant future so that was really really pleasing to see <laughs> i did see those yeah it seemed uh seemed quite punchy um billy uh, same question to you uh, thoughts thoughts on the event season as a whole yeah fantastic so again like john said it's it's great to see everybody back it's great to see the, the crowds being drawn in um quickbooks obviously they started with I think the, the opening of their session was written by ChatGPT, which really set the tone for the event um, with the idea that it, it was very robotic and then it was actually you need the human element. So it was great to see that. And I think actually we've seen a bit of a shift where we've, we're very aware of all this technology that's coming in, but people seem to be almost taking a back step and saying, this is fantastic, use it, but don't forget the human element. Um, and, and I think that's what we've seen with a lot of the sessions. Um, you know, again, what John said, the payments and the AML. I think of AML, we're seeing a lot of a lot of members of ours that are struggling with the value of the compliance side of things. So it's great to see some of the um, the tech vendors creating a, a nice streamlined process for that because um, it's not usually a profitable area for accountants. So using this technology to enhance the profits and enhance the the resource that they've got is is great to see um but as always it is very overwhelming with the amount of theaters at accountex it's near and impossible to to experience everything so it's great to see people bringing multiple members of the team along and really getting a, a feel for the event for the whole team thank you very much billy um so i guess one of the biggest trends um from event season from my perspective uh was something that actually wasn't there uh, that was making tax digital and that was absolutely lovely um because like the last i mean accounting web live expo um back in december um before the delay it was just a sort of foghorn of um mcd messaging and obviously we hadn't heard from hmrc at that stage i think the um I think the the rumor mill had started to spread about a delay, but uh, yeah, it was. I, I think it very much was uh, on on the show floor this spring. It allowed uh, a thousand practice flowers to grow, and uh, there, there there was a lot of variety, which was really nice. Uh, yeah, I um, I think uh, what I've led the session on one of the main topics um, has been around artificial intelligence in accounting. Now, obviously, buzzwords come and go, don't they? I mean, we had sort of cryptocurrency last year we've had an accounting intelligence or at least a chatbot boom before back in 2016 i was looking at articles i wrote about sage peg and unit fours wonder and things like that that um we don't hear a great deal of anymore um 
So now with the emergence of uh, ChatGPT, Google's AI, and, and various other tools, um, it does feel like we've had a new a new rush, a new breed of AI-inspired uh, products. Billy, you've run, I think you've run sessions for your your sort of tech talk mm-hmm. group. Um, with everything that's emerged, what, what's taken your interest So, with this new generation of tools? So I think for me, it's about the perception that clients have of it. So a bit like MTD and, and a lot of the other things, you know, the clients would see an advert on the TV that you could click a button and your accounts would be done and they would perceive that that's all the accountants were doing. And I think there is this great worry that with AI, the more clients are hearing about it, the more accountants almost seem to be doing less. So for me, it's about training the accountants to use it to the best of their ability, but also to be able to educate their clients into the importance of of using it. Um, And, you know, with, I think we were talking about sort of Pixie and Carbon and a lot of the practice management software that are using this now it's it's a fantastic way of taking out that that onerous task of sitting through emails and things like that so I think it's about creating capacity for humans to do things that only humans can do and letting the robots and the AI do the bits that don't, doesn't really need a lot of thought management if that makes sense. John, from a practice point of view, then um, uh, what's caught your eye about some of the some of the new tools that have that have emerged over the last couple of months? Um, well, I mean, let's start off with that. who anyone who's worked with me for quite a long time will know that artificial intelligence is definitely not a new thing. Um, you know, it's uh, I've I've made a career out of pretending to know what I'm talking about, so it's been <laughs> it's been pretty good so far. Um, I guess um, you know the key things that, that really stand out is probably two things really. Number one is that chat is back, as you mentioned, Tom. You know we've we've seen a we saw a, a burst of chatbots, um, you know, a few years ago, which kind of came and went, and and you know some firms dabbled with it, and you know quite a lot of others ignored it. Um, and, and you've got things like Luca, uh, Tim Works for also embedded AI, uh, you know ChatGPT into their products, and there's quite a few other things coming through. Um, and then on the practice side, everyone seems to be calling their product Copilot, which, along with, with Microsoft, obviously, who kind of you know got there first. So you've got Pixie that, that Billy mentioned, and Carbon, um, and, and a few others that all seem to be launching some sort of Copilot of, of, of some description. And and actually, I quite I quite like that branding because I think it's quite quite clever because you know the, the the sort of the big thing that you always hear about AI and you know other things like RPA and machine learning is it's going to replace people's jobs. And, and the reality is that, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, is that, you know, a lot of these tools are around, um, you know, supplementing some of the roles that you would do. And I guess, particularly when it comes to large language models like ChatGPT or BARD is, you know, treat them like the office junior, you know, check what they do and, and verify what, what they're saying is accurate, but but use them, use them to your benefit in terms of it's better somebody you know, cheaper or effectively free doing something for you and then you you know topping and tailing it and making it look look nice and, and, and effective so that that's where I'm at um I mean I, I guess the challenge for larger firms you know because obviously that's where I work is that um you know whilst it's really nice to see Pixie and, and Carbon and others do these kind of things we're definitely not seeing that from the likes of CCH or Iris or Sage at the moment um and and, and you know given given their sort of your know, budgets and, and everything else you would like to think that they could 
you know, uh, grasp the nettle and, and, and really, you know, push quite quickly forward on these because we have seen, you know, like I say, we have seen Microsoft make a significant investment in ChatGPT, um, you know, and other, other, you know, big products outside of the accounting world have embraced uh, AI um, to, to, you know, enhance their product offering. Yeah, I think one thing, one criticism that's always been leveled at artificial intelligences and, and and various other buzzwords over the years has been sort of that it's that it's sort of a solutions waiting for a problem almost that there's this sort of lack of utility around them whereas i think what what's emerged from the new tools that have come through um and and we'll talk about them in a little more depth is is that actually they do seem to be serving some kind of practical use so i guess the example is around uh, practice management that I've, I've I've sort of picked up on in a couple of articles. So you you both mentioned Pixie there, Pixie the, the sort of practice management tool. Um, Celso, um, their their sort of founder, gave me a, a little demo of it in terms of saying, well, a client has emailed in, um, they're applying for a loan, they've asked for document X, last three months bank statements, you know, th- this that and the other. So that email comes into the system is processed by the ai that then if those documents are available will attach them to an email that it's then drafted i mean it in theory it sounds fantastic <laughs> um yeah um uh, uh, it's 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 one of those um billy do you think um with things like that is it it as john mentioned is it, it it's worth sort of treating it as the office junior or is that do you feel that for a lot of accountants that might be a step too far sort of having it draft emails and things no i I think that's that's the perfect way of describing it really i always said it's a bit like a a keen apprentice when you use chat gpt it's it just regurgitates so much you're a bit like okay slow down a little bit we don't need all this and it's you know really keen to impress which is fantastic and with this idea that it can generate draft emails, brilliant because it's not sending it out. So you've got that human element, which is the checking, which is fantastic. I think the concern is when it comes to Pixie and Carbon accessing sort of zero or something, say if a client wanted a profit and loss or a copy of a balance sheet, if that's going to access your your bookkeeping systems and they're not up to date or, you know, we've worked in practice we know the reality of it of sort of saying to client yes it'll be done tomorrow when really it's not actually been started and we're just going to have to work really hard and if they're if we're trying to manage client expectations alongside using this system which you can't really you can't really tell a lie because it's factually if the information's there it will drag it down and that information is not not prepared it's not correct then you're at risk of sending incomplete information to clients and therefore incorrect information. So I think there is a a slight concern there, but if it does go through to a draft phase or it goes through to a point where you then check it like you would if it was a junior um, or an apprentice, then that's fantastic. That's saving you that work and actually you're just doing the review. Um, You know, we see that in in non-tech when, for example, outsourcing or something, if anybody's doing outsourcing or offshoring, we're seeing people over here doing the management and just sort of checking over that. And it's a similar sort of concept, but just not necessarily with the financials, maybe just with kind of like the day-to-day admin. 
So I think it's a great starting point is that it's kind of the onerous admin tasks that this is taken care of. And once we build that confidence with the AI, we may then start to use it for more complex things. Yeah, there is a trust element, definitely. Um, and I think with a couple of the other products that have emerged uh, in, in a similar practice management field have been, I think, Carbon um, have have a tool that sort of lets you draft emails and uh, sort of client responses. And I I believe sort of auto-categorized your inbox, depending on, I think it, it examines uh, the sentiment of the email. And uh, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know how it would necessarily prioritize which angry client to put above uh, which, or oh, which happy, happy client, I'm sure, in there. In, in 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 both your cases but um yeah and then i think canopy over in the states have done a similar a similar thing um john we are gonna gonna delve uh, a little bit deeper now um we'll go, go to the questions board and uh into the knotty world of compliance so guildford accounting asks um uh how is robotic process automation going to take over compliance work and how soon will this happen <laughs> <laughs> oh my word yeah well that's that's a simple question to answer isn't it tom <laughs> um i so um i i guess i guess in a, in a sort of a really simple term you know robotic process automation for some firms has already started to take over certain parts of compliance work um and you know in terms of in terms of whether it will or not take over everything compliance wise I think that's a really knotty sort of question to answer in terms of it's really difficult to say. And, and, I, and I say that for two reasons. So, um, you know, one of the things that I see with robotic process automation is that it fills in the gaps where, for example, APIs aren't working effectively or, um, or, or people don't have the skills necessarily to code something between products with APIs. So if you kind of go back to the most simple thing, uh, you know, in terms of or what I would term simple, in terms of the use of Zapier, for example, which is a you know low or no code solution, but is effectively utilizing RPA, is that you know, if if you have got two products that you can connect together on on Zapier, you can automate something. So, for example, you can connect uh, Shopify to Zero using Zapier, even though you can obviously do that through other third-party apps, and you can do that with direct integration as well. What you um, you know, what you can't do though is you can't connect a third-party website uh, that's been bespokely built to Zero through Zapier because they don't have the inbuilt connections. So, the next place to do that would be to either code that yourself if you've got the capabilities very few people do or you could potentially use an alternate rpa tool which might be able to do that um effectively you know manually for you as if a human being was doing it but replicate that process and that's where products like power automate and things like that can can supplement your know, product like zapier um the you, you see the use of robotic process automation much more prevalently in, in sort of larger firms you know particularly on that sort of power automate type scale because we're living in a world of having a combination of on-prem systems um you know like a like a cch or a digital for example combined with you know SaaS solutions like zero quickbooks uh, any of the reporting tools and, and other things. And, and the challenge for us, again, is how do you integrate those if there isn't a baked-in integration? Uh, and often that, the answer to that is to use use RPA. Um, now, you know, some people would say that RPA is a bit of a sticking plaster for 
you know, the longer term is that, you know, either those products will fully move to the cloud and will be more closely integrated or, you know, the fact is that things will, things will change. But um, I, I think, I think RPA still has a, has a place to, you know, a place in our world. And it's really just a matter of, you know, what, what systems and processes, you know, do you want to automate and what things, uh, you know, what things can you do? You know, and, and Tom, you talked about, um, um, you know, carbon doing that sort of sentiment analysis of, of emails. You've been able to do that in Power Automate, um, you know, for for probably about two or three years with their AI builder, if you wanted to. Um, but, but I guess the difference between how products like Carbon have implemented these is that it's just another feature set which will be switched on by default and you'll just start to use it. Whereas to use the Power Automate AI builder, you've got to kind of go looking for it and, and actually you know, intercept that effectively and build something to, to, to work through a process. And, and I think this is a really interesting, fascinating thing that we're seeing with a lot of the large language model stuff in particular, is that it's just going to become part of the products that we use. We've already talked about Microsoft and we talked about Google bringing in BARD. You know, it, uh, you know the rumors are that, um, you know, ChatGPT4 will be in, uh, you, know, you know, with their co-pilot branding will be in the Microsoft Suites in the next few weeks, uh, certainly in the US. So the UK will not be far behind. And um, that will just be natural for you to use. And uh, another question from Guildford Accounting. Uh, so if, if, if anyone um, would like to ask a question, you can do the same as Guildford Accounting and pop the question in the chat box. I've got it to the right of my screen, but depends on your browser, I guess. But uh, yeah, John, have you heard of a UiPath being a realistic? I have indeed. Um, so UiPath is probably the market leader when it comes to you know, uh, what I would call like the large scale RPA models, you know, like Power Automate. So on a different kind of level to sort of Zapier or, or Make or anything like that. Um, and um, it, I suppose to answer the question simply, yes, it is a realistic option. Um, the, you know, the, if you, if you wound the clock back sort of four or five years, I would have said that possibly not because your iPad was extremely expensive. Um, but, but nowadays it's, um, you know, it's much more affordable. And this is one of the things about the tech is it is becoming more and more affordable and, uh, and easier for firms of all sizes to onboard. Um, having said that, you know, things like Power Automate are baked into Microsoft. So if you're already in the Microsoft environment, you don't necessarily have to step outside of that. Although I would say that your know, UiPath is, is more capable. And of course, there are other products like Automation Anywhere and, uh, you know, a few others out there, which, uh, you know, all have slightly varying use cases. And, and I guess the challenge is like, how do you identify the most appropriate use case for the technology? Um, Billy, John mentioned a bit about trust there, and I guess for accountants or, or, or firms who aren't perhaps on the on the bleeding edge of technology, um, it is it is quite hard when things have come from nowhere. Like with, I don't know, September October last year, we'd never heard of ChatGPT. So, uh, and I think particularly around using client data, there is. Um, there is a bit of an issue, certainly the chats I had with the various institutes um, about this, they're getting a lot of queries from their members about yes. what's your policy on that kind of thing. Um, and I think you know, it tends to be sort of common sense um, willing out. But I mean, where do you stand on, on the trust factor? And it, is, is it that um, the, the fact that some of these vendors that people already know and trust are coming on board 
it, it, it will that sort of help the adoption of AI tools, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually developed a policy document for this reason, because it's about educating the team as well as the practice and the client. So if you have a team member that is using any of these AI tools um, that are standalone products like ChatGPT, then you know, how transparent is that? Are they aware not to put client data in? Are they aware that they can turn off the historical learning of the product? Do they actually know how to use it properly? Are they transparent about the fact they have used it or are they passing off the work as their own? So there's there's that element of these sort of um, unauthorized AI models. Um, but there's two parts to our policy document where the other part is based on authorized AI. So if there is something that is built into a product, so as a practice, if you are already using, let's say carbon, because we've already brought that up, if you're already using carbon and that's built in, then within the practice that's that's fully authorized, there's no need to kind of disclose that as a team member to your manager or your, your partners, because it's being confirmed to be an okay product to use. And the practice will have done their due diligence before they took on that, that software and that technology. So there is a there is a huge trust piece to be um, kind of discussed, but I think it kind of boils down to education. So education and awareness. So people are they aware of the product? Are they educated on using it properly? Um, and that will hopefully um, grow into being able to trust them a lot more. And you know, with anything, with any new technology, the more you use it, the more you see the success of it, and the more that you benefit from it then naturally you trust it more we did some testing yesterday on bard because that's got access to up-to-date information so we were doing some comparatives between uh, open ai's chat gpt and google bard and asking it sort of information about the spring statement for example and you know chat gpt was very fluffy tried to kind of con us a little bit into what it knew there was no facts and figures whereas Bard was very, very good at summarising. Similarly, asking it to do a basic tax computation. Google Bard could do it with all the correct rates um, very, very quickly, um, which, again, is something that you would expect a junior in the office to be able to do. You know, if they're going to college and doing AAT or, you know, the foundation ACCA, they should be able to do a basic tax comp, and that is what it could do. And so straight away, as a user, my trust was built within because it was giving me that correct information so with carbon and pixie if i do feel like it's getting it right and i feel like it is prioritizing the right emails i'll be more inclined to use it i think the biggest danger here is at the beginning all these systems are in beta phase and people maybe are not aware of that so if it's not working properly now people will turn off from it for quite a long time, it'd be quite hard to get people back into using it. I think um, just to add to sort of Billy's comments there, I think I think there's a, uh, there's definitely a difference between these products that are sort of baked into things like like Carbon and Pixie. Um, but I would caveat that in terms of like I you know, and I haven't haven't dug dug into this myself, but you know, have have these products changed their T's and C's? Have they changed their data management policies and data protection policies and things to 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 you know to adapt to these changes? Because you know, for example, we know that with Copilot that's coming into the Microsoft suite, they are going to launch a private 
version of that so that you know that your data is going to be secure, it's only going to be held and utilized in the EU, for example. And so you can have confidential information in there. And given that it's going to have access to your emails, because it's going to sit in Outlook as well as all the other products in Microsoft, I think that's pretty fundamental for, for most practices to be confident that work. The flip side of that, of course, is, as Billy mentioned, is like once you get into using something like uh, you know, ChatGPT or um, uh, you know, products like Numerous, for example, which is like an add-in that sits in Excel to help you, uh, you know, utilize AI there to build build formula and things, is that, um, you know, those products are quite vague around how they're utilizing your data and what they're doing with it and where it's shared and things. Um, and so, you know, we've had a very similar policy internally sort of saying, look, here's something interesting to play with. Don't stick anything confidential in it, <laughs> you know, because that's too much of a risk for us. But, but see what you can get out of it, you know, just experiment. Great. Um, another the, the the questions are flowing in the chat box. So thank you very much, everyone. Um, uh, Guildford Accounting again uh, has asked about um, how worried um, we are about hallucinations in. <laughs> uh, I'll put my teeth in to start again. Hallucinations <laughs> in uh, AI tools outputs. So I guess uh, I wrote about this a couple of months ago. I think Stuart Cobb, who used to work over at MindBridge, the sort of AI audit, talks about um, it, it, it being the office junior, but like the, the cockiest office junior imaginable that would just, <laughs> if it didn't know the answer, would just make it up completely and say it with extreme confidence. <laughs> oh, blimey. Um, and I, I, I guess that, you know, in, in, in our in our context, I guess it, well, that would be a sort of hallucination, as it were. So, so sort of coming up with wrong information. I mean, I mean, how worried should we be about that? Do you think, Billy? Yeah, like absolutely, because we don't want to regurgitate incorrect information to anyone, team members, vendors, clients, nobody. Um, first of all, I think the the important part of this question is actually the terminology of hallucination. Because again, you know, we only heard about this back in October. Do does everybody even know what hallucination is? Are people aware of the terminology? Do people know the difference? You know, also things like prompts. Do people know what a prompt is? So, about telling your team that hallucination is basically just incorrect information, and it's just what we call it, and it's it's a little bit mental that a, a robot can hallucinate. And I, I think I love all this terminology. I think it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, the, the hallucination is is obviously a concern, but again, I think that's where this human element will always be required because it's great for sort of looking at large data sets and it, it's great at regurgitating whatever information you need and the formats and everything, but actually are we checking that information and are we putting that human spin on it? So it, it's it, we, need, we need to be concerned, absolutely. But if anything, it's a bit more reassuring that there is still a need for us as humans to work alongside AI rather than just letting it replace any sort of tasks that we're doing. I mean, I, I, I was going to say, I just take a slightly different angle on that. It's like, I don't think we need to be worried about that so long as you understand that it's not necessarily always going to be correct. You know, I mean, we've, we've lived through an era of, you know, having Donald Trump and Boris Johnson as leaders, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, they're far more unreliable than like AI um, <laughs> in terms of trying to tell the truth. So, you know, let, let's be let's be blunt about this in terms of, you know, yes, AI, you know, particularly ChatGPT and things like that can produce results which appear incredibly confident in what they're telling you but are, are factually incorrect. 
But as Billy said, if you get your prompt right and if you go back to that and challenge it and sort of say, look, are you, are you sure? Can you tell me where you've got that information from? And you you tell me the source then you, you will get around to the right answer. Um, you know, but, but again, as Billy said, it's no different from you know, having that uber-confident partner on the other side of the table who says, this is definitely right and we've got to go for it, or that trainee telling you that they've mm. done the research and it's definitely right, even though you know, the, you know, the, VAT, the VAT rate in their spreadsheet is 15% and it's not been like that for five years or whatever. So uh, I, I think you know, for accountants, you know, we are used to, um, you know, we're used to sort of that critical analysis of information that's presented in front of us. And I think we should be capable of doing that. Can I just add as well, I think this is where it shows how great the AI is at evolving. So when you compare ChatGPT that kind of will just regurgitate information, again, are people aware how out of date the information is? Whereas Google, it's got the actual reference. It shows you what Google searches it's done to produce the answer. So it's already evolving to give you that reassurance that, if it is hallucinating, this is why it's hallucinating, this is why it's getting the information it's getting because it's from these sources. So it's already giving us that, which is which is fantastic. And I mean, that's in a matter of months. Um, question from Anon41356, who um, asks whether accountants should apply AI to admin tasks or compliance in the first instance. Um, any, any thoughts? Um, I mean, I, I think that's a, just a personal choice or a, or a practice, you know, strategic choice in terms of where's your pain points, you know, and, and you know, can you find a use case for AI, you know, to, to solve those pain points? You know, this, I, think, I think you mentioned at the outset, you know, this isn't about using, uh, using a technology that thinks it's found a problem to solve. This is about using a technology to solve a problem that you genuinely have and can, can use to solve that problem. So, um, you know, I don't know if, if you can use if you can use AI to help you write a blog post or marketing, which seems to be the most prevalent prevalent use uh, you know, that, that I've seen in the accounting market. Great. If you can use it, you know, secondary to that, I've seen other accountants using it to help them do a bit of coding and to build you know, API connections and things. That seems to be the second most popular thing. Um, do either of those solve an admin task or a compliance task? Not, not necessarily. They might make it a little bit easier. But, but definitely there is there is capability within all of these models to um, to use those for things. But I, I think you know, take take a step back from from what you're doing day to day and go right. What's what's the most painful thing? Um, you know, in terms of you know, is it getting engagement letters out the door, for example, or is it producing tax returns? And and then figure out what you can do to improve that process. And it doesn't have to be using AI. You know, fundamentally it could either just be changing a process or it could actually be using, you know, another off-the-shelf product that's just a bit more effective. One thing, uh one product I popped out uh sort of sort of popped into my head there. Um I saw on the floor of Countex was um around uh using um ai and spend management i don't know if either of you saw uh, genesis with a j-e-n-e-s-y-s but uh yeah that you, you seem to sort of spend a little bit of time setting up with your expense policies and requirements and then it was a sort of chat bot that could um do that i wonder if there were any if either of you um had any thoughts that ai could be could be used to uh to tackle the spend management uh issue yeah, again, so it, it would identify if anybody was doing something that was outside of the current policy for the, the organisation, so if the spend was over a certain amount, which is great. I think the probably, the, 
I feel like I'm inherently very positive. I feel like I'm throwing a few negatives out there now. But again, I think it's a case of does that mean that somebody could pass quite a lot under the threshold? And it would it would it leave you wide open for manipulation in that sense? Um, but again, that's you know, would that be the same if it was a human? Do you have more, you know, is it is it more likely to be truthful if it's if it's AI? Um, because at the end of the day, a policy like this is very black and white. So realistically, that that can be done by. Does that need a human input? Does it need any sort of thought, empathy, anything like that? It doesn't it? Doesn't really need the the emotions that we have as a human. So it can be done by a robot, if you like. And I, and I think that's that's where we're going to see a lot of the trends going. So a lot of these, if you know, if we go back to the question about compliance versus admin, if it is a black and white compliance task and it's not tax advice then, yeah, there's no reason why uh, an AI system cannot be doing that for you. I, I just add to that. I mean, I think I think there is always a, a risk with these things. And um, we've seen it historically where probably predating, you know, sort of ChatGPT and BARD and other things. But we've seen, you know, AI models that have been trained on data that's available to them and then become the most racist, sexist, misogynistic, you know, uh, chatbots in the world because they've just been trained on, on, on data that's, you know, wholly inappropriate, essentially, that, but that's just reflective of what's what what's out there on the internet and things like that. Um, so we do have to be slightly cautious in terms of, you know, if, you've, uh, if you're having something that runs runs a rule over an expenses policy, for example, if it's trained on, you know, uh, you know, data or information from your system where potentially something fraudulent has happened, does that exacerbate the opportunity or, or the possibility that, that fraud may reoccur in the future? Um, uh, and, and so I think we do as practitioners need to understand how these models are learning and being trained on data and, and not place 100% reliance on these until we are comfortable that it's giving the results that we expect, um, you know, because I think that's, that's, that's quite important. And, you know, and, and there have been instances of, you know, in the past, you know, quite high publicized instances of people, you know, you know defrauding, you know, big, big four firms in the expense claims and other things like that. And, um, you know, what you don't want with any technology, this is always the risk when you start to use technology, not just chatbots, but, but RPA and things like that, is that, as soon as you start to use any level of sort of automation is is a is a problem created once uh, by a human can normally be intercepted quite quickly but a problem created once by a robot might be done in microseconds and could be repeated you know at scale massively you know before it's ever intercepted and identified and that can be incredibly difficult to unwind then that's a really good point I think yeah, it was quite an interesting um piece on on ICAW insights. Uh, I think tech tax um tax faculties caroline miskin had mentioned that she, her concerns about the sort of black box nature of it all that you know tax like, figures go in tax calculation comes out and we're not quite sure how it's it's sort of got to that so yeah it is um yes an interesting one i guess i mean hmrc we're talking about that for mgd it's uh um as it were so uh maybe we're not um, a million miles away from that but uh yeah uh final question on ai that i don't think we got to that was um yeah uh combining two of the big buzzwords from the last couple of years uh clk books asks would you recommend any ai or not tools 
to help with collating crypto asset transactions for tax returns. Obviously, you know, can be sort of huge volumes of uh, um, transactions um, if, if they're in the, the sort of trading space, as it were. Have, have either of you heard of any tools for that type of thing? Um, I know. I think Billy was shaking her head as well. I mean, I, I'm not aware of anything AI specific in that world. There are obviously quite a few apps that will help you um, plug into various platforms and wallets and things like that. But I guess the the increasing challenge with with crypto is that there are there can be so many wallets um, um, and and so many platforms from which you've got to get the data. And increasingly, the data is not always reportable in a sort of consistent, consumable fashion. So that is probably an area where AI could help because you could you, know, you could take you know, multiple sets of data from multiple platforms in different states and convert you know um, uh, convert it into something consistent. But again, you could do that. Uh, you know, with the stuff that you've got in Power Apps in in, in Microsoft uh, Excel already, for example, and the equivalent sort of features sit in the Google uh, the Google space as well. Um, but I mentioned, you know, like I, we, I've been playing around with Numerous, which is quite a neat little tool just for analyzing data. Um, I'm, I'm fairly certain that will be usurped by Copilot and Excel in the next few months. But um, uh, you know, that that could be a use case for that where you've got you know, data that needs to be formatted in a particular way to, to produce something usable and consumable for producing tax returns. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, so uh, I guess I'd like to use the last um, few minutes to touch on a couple of other sort of trends that I saw on the show floor. Uh, for larger firms, the, 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 or, or those with more complex clients, perhaps I should say, We've had the likes of Iris and CCH continue to to rumble their cloud plans forwards. But what what sort of emerged over the, over the last sort of six or nine months is that this sort of ecosystem of of sort of wraparound complementary solutions that that allow these firms to have their desktop compliance tools, your tax and your accounts production, but also um, have that have that sort of foot in the cloud when it comes to things like document management or practice management and um and things like that so things like F fyi carbon again um summer tech that that seems to been spun out of carpenter box um that sort of complement them um john is this a new era for cloud evolution or a sort of bump in the road what would, what would you call it <laughs> um no I, I think i think this is the ine inevitable development of um you know the requirement for what were essentially closed suites in the past to become more open you know and and the the following you know the following the lead that's been been shown by by zero and others in that in that respect um you know for me the most exciting announcement was that fyi integration with cch and iris i mean um you know that that fundamentally I think it's quite a significant announcement, both from FYI's point of view, but also for firms that are using those products. And, and particularly when you you contrast that with Carbon, who, you know, I think certainly last year were, were being incredibly successful in the UK up until the point where they, you know, they got rid of quite a lot of staff. Um, that haven't got that kind of equivalent integration, and, and although FYI has come from a document management you know uh, position historically, they now are in that sort of job management, uh, workflow management space that, that really competes directly with with Carbon, and so I'm I'm kind of ex expecting to see um, 
you know, FYI sort of overtake carbon in that respect. Um, and, and maybe carbon will have to reposition at the lower end of the market because they've already got integrations with the smaller uh, PM solutions. Um, uh, it, it, the, the interesting challenge then, of course, for the likes of CCH and Iris is like, what do they do with their existing document management products? Because they're fundamentally not as good as FYI or, or others. And um, you know, the, the, the reality is, for, as far as I'm concerned, is you will see a slow bleed across to products like that as, as a consequence of this. But but I like this. This is like this is my bread and butter because I've always been a best of breed person. I've never believed that the sweets were good at everything. And, and the reality was if you bought a sweet, um, whilst it was convenient from a from a sort of a, a management point of view, you, you made too many compromises in terms of like one of the products would be exceptional, but the rest would probably be pretty average at what they did. Um, and, um, you know, why, why should firms compromise, not just on capability but on ui and in ux you know particularly in a world of you know uh using products you know like zero like quickbooks and others which are easy to use easy to pick up in, intuitive you know relatively free-flowing in how they how you you, know, you you go through a work process um and you can trust that to what we've had on desktop for the last sort of 20 years where it's, it's anything but brilliant thank you john um the 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 the, the final sort of big trend that i'd picked up on um was around i think post covid um i think there was a lot of relatively abundant funding cheap cash uh, a bit of a boom in independent software solutions offering best of breed products uh we've since obviously had cost of living crisis and uh, various economic factors that have led to a bit of a contraction in the market. Um, some vendors have been acquired, others have um, fallen by the wayside. Uh, the big players have also sort of broadened out their offerings. Obviously, I'm, I'm thinking of the likes of of sort of Bright bringing in um, bringing in the likes of PTC uh, Software. They've launched, I think, Bright Tax at the show and mentioned things like company secretarial and proposal software. So we seem to be seeing more of a, a sort of sweet play. Several vendors are talking about demand for fewer products, fewer logins, fewer security risks. Um, Billy, Billy, is this happening on the ground from the people that, that you're talking to in, in practice? Yeah, absolutely. It's probably one of the biggest trends at the moment with our members is they're trying to tighten up their tech stack. They're trying to neaten it up. There's these conferences that we talk about, the fantastic, and you, you leave with such a buzz and it's great to see all these systems that are going to sort all your problems. But unfortunately, adopting one system for one thing, one for another. And as John said, it's great to have the best of breed. Um, but what, what came with that was a lack of integration. So each system was very standalone and therefore information was having to be duplicated and people having to enter information into five or six different systems depending on whereabouts they were on the workflow so we're seeing systems like fyi which is great for document management workflow it has an element of reporting for billing their integration with the likes of ignition and zero practice management means that people can just do one fluid workflow they can just do one task in one system and it will feed into others so we're seeing a lot of people now sort of take a step back and say right let's let's analyze our current tech stack what are we using which one speaks to which at which stage and if it doesn't we kind of need to look at moving away from that and 
finding one that fits in nicer and a bit neater with the rest of our products. Um, and with that, as you said about Bright, some of these large players in the market are now acquiring a lot of these um, best of breeds to make the full suite solution so that everything is under one umbrella. But what comes with that is we're seeing some practices a little bit apprehensive about adopting a system that doesn't have a big backing because they just know they're going to get bought out in the future. So it's definitely giving people a bit more to think about when it, when it comes to software adoption. I, mean, I, yeah. I think I think Bright's uh, particularly interesting at the moment because obviously you know the the you know sort of uh, you know, flagship product which was Bright Pay you know payroll software you know had a had a terrible cloud launch you know earlier in the year and eventually got pulled because you know hadn't done a good enough job of building that product out and made, making it useful for the market. Um, but, you know, but they have pulled together, you know, some really high quality products, you know, accountancy manager, BTC, as you mentioned, Brightpay, all effectively like good quality products there. And the challenge increasingly is maybe how do you, how do you integrate those products? So you do have an effective suite because ultimately what people are looking for now is they are looking for integration, whether that's within a suite or whether that's best of breed. Um, what I think is a massive folly though, is for these products to waste the time on building things like uh, onboarding processes, you know, AML solutions and things like that. We seen that in the element suite and frankly their proposal system is is woeful um it's not it's not as good as you know ignition or go proposal and some of the other products that are out there in the market um and and you know if they're if they're concentrating time and resource and money and everything else on building products that are simply not good enough for the market why are they doing that because although they want you know I, well i know why they're doing that they want to keep they want to keep people within their suite and within their product. But frankly, that's not going to work. It's not going to play in this world of people being able to connect products from third parties into others. And, um, you know, and, and when you consider some of the products that they are transitioning, like Bright of experience with BrightPay, transitioning from, from desktop, high quality, well-respected products onto the cloud, nowhere near as effective. That's a real, real challenge for, for, for firms um, in, in, this, in the vendors in this space. And they have got to, um, you know, they can't be simply taking a desktop product into the cloud with the same UI and UX that you've experienced before um, and not not improve it. And it is challenging, you know, and, and yeah, I know this is sort of slightly out of left field, but, you know, um, you know, Michael Ford from Castaway was there. And, you know, I remember talking to him about three years ago and tell, you know, he was telling me that their cloud product for, for forecasting was only a matter of months away. And it has taken him the best part of, you know, almost three years to get there. And I know that he pulled the development at one point and they sort of started back a, a blank piece of paper almost because it was that difficult for them to do that. Um, and, and that is the reality. But, but what he produced as a consequence of going back and you know just taking his time is a high quality product, better than the desktop product, with better features, better UI, uh, better usability, um, and that really means a lot to to users because I, we're in a world now where uh, certainly, as far as I'm concerned, is like my my interest in a product you know is is limited to about thirty minutes, and if I can't pick it up and it's not usable in that time. Then, then it's simply not not there's no point in me investing any more of my time and effort to learn how to use that product unless I can see some real value coming out of it. And this is the challenge for all of these suites that are in this transition: is um, you, know, you you simply can't just copy and paste. Um, and unfortunately, that seems to be what they're trying to do and build some pretty crappy products around the outside. Great, thank you, John. Um, I was going to dip back into the question pot for the last time, so I'm aware that we are. Uh, 
you know, at pretty much at the end of our time. Uh, Marky asks, how would AI, we're, we're, we're back onto the AI beat uh, for a second here. Um, how would AI help with marketing for a small practice? Uh, Billy, thoughts? Oh, there's so many solutions for this. It's, it's infinite. I mean, AI doesn't just stop at chat GPT and, and it's just because that's the one that we seem to talk about a lot. But you could um, ask all sorts of questions. And again, it's about the prompt. So making sure that the question that you ask is very specific. Um, I actually did a test on this yesterday where I asked it to do me a monthly marketing plan for a accountant's practice. And ChatGPT came up with one format, which was basically gave me week one, week two, week three, week four each month and suggestions of what to include. Whereas Googlebot gave me a actual marketing plan that I would go and sort of tender to somebody and say, I want to be your marketer. This is my suggestion so depending on which format you want you know you can play around with the different systems and on top of that there are other ai solutions out there so copy ai which will write your content for you and there's also ones that can create um images and things like that so it doesn't just stop at the actual creation um but but be cheeky with it would be my advice so if you wanted to write your marketing email and you say write me a a marketing email about R&D tax credits for manufacturing businesses and it'll come back and it will be so boring and people won't read it but you can then say to it could you make this a little bit humorous and it will rewrite it in a matter of seconds with a little bit of humor in there so when it comes to marketing as accountants we're not really geared that way I don't think I'm, I know I'm personally not overly creative um so you know ask it exactly what you want it to do and and it will do it for you and don't be scared to kind of push the boundaries with it uh, and, and play around. So, yeah, the, the, the options are, uh, are honestly endless. What I would say is treat it like an external marketer and ask it to produce what you want it to produce, whether that be website copy, emails, uh, literature for um, brochures or anything like that. Um, and again, you know, regurgitate that information. So use it two or three ways and you can ask it to remodel it. So if you had a blog post that you had written already, you could feed that in there and say, here is a blog post. Please could you reconfigure this into an email that we want to send to our smaller clients who are not that registered, for example, and be as specific as possible. And the better your input, the better the output. Amazing. Thank you, Billy. Um, I, I'd, I'd add, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things as a, as a content creator, I, I hate that term, uh, writer, I should probably say, but uh, I've, I've obviously played around a fair bit with it. Um, I think the niche you go, the tougher it is to produce sort of working content, but I guess you're trying to work out like, why, why are you producing this content? If you're putting a blog uh on your web page for seo purposes well google fairly soon is going to have something that can screen chat gpt created comments so you, you like it it's much better to sort of view it as a first draft as billy said a prompt uh maybe a mental prompt for you to sort of say oh okay yep yep i, I would have done that anyway oh actually no other like I, I wouldn't have done that so yeah I, idea creation perhaps because it is drawing from um pretty much the the internet the entire sum of human knowledge <laughs> up till about 2021 so you know it's bound to bound to come up with something even if it's not exactly right and then i guess it's up to you to tailor that um to your practice your clients um however else it is so uh great 
um well i think that's that's all we have time for for today uh, a huge thank you to billy and to john uh, for their expertise and for answering um for answering all the the questions that came through um thank you very much everyone for watching for everything else from the big wide world of accountancy um we're accountingweb.co.uk um quick mention for john's podcast uh well john john ryan and indy's podcast should i say uh digi tools for a cruel world uh which i believe is back for a new season fairly soon is that right john uh yeah we uh we recommence recording on monday so we will definitely be back with a bang very soon fantastic it's an excellent listen so uh do do pop that in your podcast player and uh right yes i think that's it for today so thank you very much for watching and goodbye